Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest of Hyde podcast. This is the podcast about tech and business in the Northwest. And I have with me as ever, Zach Georgia. Say hi, Zach. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? I'm great, thank you. The sun's out. It's Manchester. It's the result. Way. If you're listening to this on a podcast and not watching a clip on LinkedIn, it is sunny. It's, it's crazy. It's sunny. <laughs> and, and it's like and this it is all Manchester. The time. It's, it's like this all the time. I can vouch for it. Uh, and we've got a brilliant guest on today. We've got Mike Buzzell on from Exergy Power. Hi, Mike. Hi, Dan. Hi, Ajahn. How are you? Yeah, good. Thanks. How are you finding the weather in Manchester? Yeah, well, <laughs> having come here just before winter and having been here now the whole winter, it's been tough. Yeah. But as you say, the weather is nice. So it definitely feels you appreciate it much more when the weather is nice. Yeah, absolutely. And we're on Friday. Everyone's in a bit of a Friday mood today. So I'm hoping we're going to get a good, nice sunny weekend. Uh, but we didn't come here to talk about the weather. We came to find out a bit about you, Mike, and your business. So it's a new one for us. I think we're getting, we have a, this is an engineering business. Uh, I think that's right in saying that, but please just tell us a bit about it. Tell us how what it is you do. So yeah, again, thanks a lot for having me. Um, yeah, so Exergy is a Japanese company. We make uh, battery systems and our target is essentially to back up sustainability. So our battery systems, they are very large container-sized batteries and we are essentially connecting those to the grid in order to enable the grid to intake more renewable power and therefore allow for a greener uh, network without suffering from any types of outages. Wow. Okay. So that's, I mean, that's really cool. Obviously batteries are a super hot topic at the moment. I have been for at least five years, you know, we, we know them from cars and electric cars and that, but it, it sounds like they're everywhere and you say container size that's incredible yeah exactly so it's been a really big boom um that also means there's a lot of competition which is particularly tough for a small company like ours so we are a bit more than 50 people in japan in manchester to which we can come later we are currently a team of four so we have to specialize into something and we essentially do that by focusing on short duration energy storage systems right now. And this way we are uh, some way different than other uh, energy storage suppliers that you're familiar with, such as Tesla, LG, um, many uh, Asian companies that do that. Yeah, and so um, I remember my father-in-law telling me, because he did some work in power stations years and years ago, and he said, if you turn a light on or a kettle on, someone else has to, somebody else has to throw more coal on, basically, because there was no storage, right? It was... Yeah crazy so obviously it's changed yeah but that's that's really much the case Uh, electricity is very difficult to store and even though we have very large systems connected not just us but uh, other companies it's still in comparison a very small amount we really have to produce and consume roughly the same amount at all times and that is particularly difficult now as more and more wind and solar is being connected So while in the past you had uh, the demand that was somewhat unknown, somebody could turn on or off the the light, uh, but you at least knew exactly how much you would produce, your power station could increase or decrease the power output. But now with wind and solar, you have an additional uncertainty on the generation side as well. So for the grid operator, it has become a much bigger challenge to assure the reliability of the grid. You know, it's fascinating. And I remember meeting you um, 
So when we met several weeks ago, and I know we've known you for, for quite a while, you were explaining to me that these huge batteries that you supply actually only give power for a really short period of time. And you were explaining certain systems where they could be used. Can you give us a little bit more on that? Yeah, so that's exactly what I already mentioned before, that because we are a small company, we have to focus on a niche application. So our batteries provide power for only 90 seconds. That means that from a small capacity, we can get a lot of power. That means that we can reduce the cost of the system and also the environmental impact when we manufacture our systems. But if we need power for more than 90 seconds, our system cannot provide it anymore. So rather than installing larger batteries, our philosophy right now is to utilize already existing assets. So many factories where our system can be installed have a backup generator. And such a backup generator takes roughly 40 seconds to ramp up. And this one can then run for many hours, sometimes even days, uh, but it cannot ramp up very quickly. So our battery is connected to the site. When there is a problem on the grid, our battery immediately responds, assuring that there is no outage. And then as soon as we start to empty our battery, we give a signal to the generator to ramp up to transfer the load from the battery to the diesel generator. And this way we have a very fast reacting system that can transition from one asset to the other and provide power for as many hours as there is fuel available. See, I find it amazing because what happens is, and if you could just elaborate a little bit more on that for us and give us an example, because in the real world, most people don't realize what goes on in the background. And we talk about this a lot, don't we, with tech, John? Yeah. You know, everyone sits there on their app all day on tech, tapping away, tapping away. And yet there's a developer that's developed that. App. There's a designer that's designed that app and so on. So give us a real life example. Is that a train, for example? Is it? So we have our system usually installed in a factory. And often some factories have certain machinery that are very, uh, that have to have a really high power quality. So if there is a blip on the network, their machinery may stop. So in our case, in the home, uh, sometimes there's a blip, the light uh, flickers a little bit. That's not too big a hassle because that's all that we really notice, but some machinery cannot accept such a blip. They will then stop. So if they have a poor power quality, even though the blip may only be for half a second, if the machinery stop, it may take multiple hours until they can restart the process. And it can then also happen that within uh, that process, all the equipment or the chemicals that they have manufactured that I have to go to waste. And so by us being able to cover these short dips, even though they're just half a second, they actually have a much higher value to certain customers. It is, it is totally fascinating. But I'm sorry, I, when you, I just got this picture in my head when you said a, a battery the size of a container with a 90 second charge. It just reminded me of an old Dell laptop I used to have, which was about, which was about that size and had a charge yeah. actually shortly less than 90 seconds. But obviously that isn't what you were talking about. Um, can I ask you then, so you then came to Manchester, right? So you've, you've decided to put a footing in the UK and you've come to the best part of the country. Well done, good choice. But tell us why you did it. Obviously I know why everyone else does it, but I'd love to hear yeah. your kind of your take on it. Yeah, I mean, the, the story of how we got to Manchester is a really long one. Essentially, we are a Japanese company, Exergy Power Systems. We were established in Tokyo and we developed our system there. But we just saw quite early on that the Japanese market is not suitable for us. 
as I explained, our system is required on the grid that starts to have issues because of high renewable intake. But in Japan, the, the grid is, and even more so was, extremely stable because there were not so many wind turbines and solar plants connected. So we understood that we have to go somewhere else. Uh, the market would be outside of Japan for us. And initially we thought that uh, the US market would be the most suitable for us, um, but the market has developed in a way that was not suitable after all for us. For example, the Californian market, there you have nice weather, you have sunshine during the day, so you can charge your batteries for multiple hours. In daytime, when everybody comes home, sun goes down, you need a power for a long duration. And you have every day roughly the same pattern. And for that, a long duration battery that can provide power for four hours is ideally suited. So our short duration battery was not the perfect fit. So we tried to then identify where else might be a better uh, market. We then got uh, to the German market that had a so-called fast frequency response market where we can provide our kinds of services within the electric network. But also there, uh, the requirements have ultimately not suited us uh, very much and have then continued to find where it would be better suited and found the Irish market and now also the UK market to be much more suitable. Ireland has an extremely high intake of wind. They already achieve up to 75% on certain days of the power consumed to be covered by wind only. So the grid can be extremely unstable, but so far they have, haven't had during those times a bigger outage. And now uh, the UK is uh, on a similar level. And also they uh, understand that solutions are needed that can react very quickly when there is a problem on the grid. And then they are incentivizing those kind of providers. So we understood that roughly this region would be the most suitable for us. But then we decided uh, rather than going to Ireland, the UK makes more sense because uh, firstly, the market is larger. Um, but then it also has more similarities to the Japanese market. Um, Japan has a very strong manufacturing base. And in the UK, it's very similar, which is quite different from the Irish market. So as we are a Japanese company, even though we access currently the markets in Europe, we still want to have a story that combines those two sides. And we want to identify how can we operate in the UK market and how can that benefit ultimately in Japan as well. So the UK really made more sense to us. And then ultimately, we then had to decide where in the UK we would want to uh, have our subsidiary. And we then decided to go to Manchester for uh, several reasons. First, it was the city's commitment to achieve net zero by 2038. So it's a very aggressive target, which means that there is also the understanding from the, uh, from the government, from the, the local community, that there has to be investment. And uh, we expect that. And so far, it's been right uh, a lot of support from different sides. But then it's also a growing city. And that's very crucial to have a city that is growing rather than just a large city. Uh, having young people present that are motivated to uh, work for uh, something that can have a good impact is uh, a very uh, important item or was a very important item for us. And we therefore decided to come to Manchester and set up our subsidiary here with the expectation that we would be close to potential customers and also be able to access talented people. That's brilliant. I heard um, 
figure that 8%, and I, I, I'm not quoting directly because a while ago and someone told me of graduates uh, stay in Manchester, which I think is higher than a lot of other cities. And it kind of contributes to that, you know, the young energy that you're sort of talking about and the, you know, the graduates coming in and they're the kind of people that you want in your, um, you know, who have got the, the latest, most up-to-date knowledge and I guess building that business and, and the other businesses presumably are as well. It's not just your business, but it's all the surrounding business as well. So that's that's really cool. Good. Um, I thought you were going to when you start talking about California was being too sunny. I thought you were, you were heading in the Manchester's got the most unpredictable weather. That's why we picked it. But I'm glad I'm glad it was it was other things as well. Yeah, so. it's not the weather that brought us here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so tell us a bit about yourself then, Mike. Well, like you've got obviously you've lived in Japan for a long time. Tell us. Like how how did that come about? Was you not have you always been in this company, or was it something else that took you there? Yeah, it was um, full time employment was essentially just in this company, but um, just to drive to see something else happened during my first exchange in Sweden. So I'm from Switzerland, and I my background is mechanical engineering. And originally, when I started studying, I thought I just wanted to finish my studies as quickly as possible join a large company and have everything settled. But then after two years of my bachelor's, I felt I need a bit of a new challenge. And I decided to do an exchange in Sweden. And it really opened my mind and sparked um, a, a different flame in me where I understood that there's so, so much more out there and much more excitement. So after the one year in Sweden and coming back to Switzerland to finish my bachelor's, I then went for a year to China to do two internships there. And then my target was to go to uh, Japan for two years to do my master's and thereafter go possibly somewhere else again. But after or during uh, my two years of the, the master's at the University of Tokyo, um, I was then offered from this company, from Exergy, to have a PhD uh, sponsored by them. So I would do my PhD uh, roughly 60% of my time, and then the remaining time work for the company, primarily in uh, business development. And uh, I found that that was a really good offer. I could combine uh, research with more business-related work. So a nice uh, combination of when I get bored with one, I can do the other. And so I joined uh, XG in 2013. Um, was working part-time for three years. And then in 2016, I got offered a full-time position as VP business development. And uh, during that time, I primarily drove the business uh, in the foreign markets. And then in 2019, I was promoted to CEO and I'm in this role uh, to date. And then the, the Manchester entity was then established uh, in the middle of last year. And uh, its operation have essentially started in September. And during that process, I moved from Japan to uh, Manchester in order to support the company to set up here. It's fascinating. And, and I love the fact that you've done these diverse things. You know, you've been to China and Japan and you're now back to Europe and, and, and stuff. I mean, you know, Japan, from what I've never been, so I don't know, but Japan, super organized. They are the, the artists of lean. Or are they? Maybe it's the Germans, I'm not too sure. But certainly everything is uh, it's from a supply chain. It's all organized. Trains are never late. You know, everything is super duper. And you move to Manchester. I mean, how big of a difference of a shock has it been for you? Or 
is it just you're back in Europe and Europe just operates very differently? Yeah, I mean, I'm from Europe, so it certainly made things easier. But I think I had a smaller cultural shock when I moved from Switzerland to Japan than when I moved from Japan to the UK. Right. Because of those reasons, yeah. But it's very exciting. So, yeah, the, the trains may not be as punctual and... Um, yeah, the food is probably not as delicious as it is in Japan, but it also has a lot of benefits. And one of the things that I really do appreciate here is, is the people. They seem very open and um, it, it's much easier to um, get in touch with the people to discuss whether it's something uh, trivial or um, more in-depth with a person that you've never met before. And uh, this really makes it easier to grow your network, which is important for us. Yeah, and I think that's probably arguably even more, without being disrespectful, because people are people everywhere in the world, but I think that's probably even more in the north of England. I think, you know, northerners are very notoriously friendly, um, to say the least. Um, you know, they're not just, they're not quite as busy as, you know, certain other parts of the country. Um, going back to the, the products, I mean, you know, obviously engineering itself has become, you know, many, many years ago, engineering in the UK um, had, I'm not saying it had a bad reputation, but it had a reputation of being, some people just didn't perceive it to what it actually is today. I mean, it's super innovative now, isn't it? It's super advanced. And, and I think a lot of engineering businesses has, has, has moved in that direction. Um, how have you found sort of other engineering businesses in, 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 in the UK? Do, do you think they are as advanced as maybe they are in, in, in other parts of the world? Yeah, absolutely. Um, certainly, we we have chosen to come here because uh, the, the quality of engineering is is really high, and also we like the the whole history of Manchester, right, from the Industrial Revolution, and a, a place that has gone through such a change is also uh, has the culture to push forward to again uh, a major change in the electric network. Now, in our case, that is important. And uh, yeah, that, that is why we are here. And we, we can see that within the, the employees that we've hired so far, uh, it's been really impressive, uh, the knowledge that they have, the experience that they have gathered in, in the previous jobs and the value that they are providing now. I anticipated when we started hiring that it would take a long time for uh, some of the tasks uh, to be understood. Um, but uh, many of them really understand uh, what we are doing and how exactly it is that they can offer their uh, knowledge in order to um, improve our products and our uh, projects. Yeah, I mean, that's what happens when you recruit off Chroma Engineering. You generally get <laughs> great people. But... <laughs> Sorry, pardon the plug there but you know every now and again um no but i do i do i, do, I love the fact and we've talked about this john actually quite a lot on this show about manchester and it actually pulling back some of its heritage you know if we look at some of the e-commerce businesses that are out there at the moment textiles was manchester's the mills was manchester the music scene was manchester you know for many many years and we see those businesses don't we you know we see those businesses some of the biggest fast fashion you know or e-commerce retail businesses are here and and so on um and also i think one thing that people do forget about manchester we've talked about the evolution and the growth of the city on this show quite a few times but one thing that people probably don't actually realize 
and, and I, I could be wrong, but I certainly when I was younger, and it was definitely fact. And that I think that Manchester has the biggest student population in the UK, potentially. Whether that's still the case now, I'm not too sure. We'll, we'll fact check that and come back to you. <laughs> Hang on yeah. a minute. <laughs> yeah, quick Google says. I don't know, but as I was saying, there's a lot of a lot of students stay here, so probably per capita, it probably has, and it may actually it may actually be one of the biggest student public. I imagine some of the university, you know, London's got quite a lot of actual universities, so in in total numbers, it might be higher. But and I think it's I think it's really cool because engineering. Um, obviously, Britain has had a long history of engineering, you know, car manufacturing, um, all the rest of it, um, but now it's. And now it's sort of evolved again. It's almost like a, a rebirth of of that of sort of that engineering culture that's continuing in new types of engineering, the more modern. You know, we, we're talking about sort of this sort of state of the art batteries. Um, it's incredible. Like, and it's it's all coming back around. Well, obviously, we don't have what we used to have in terms of maybe some of the car industries um, and sort of that older kind of manufacturing. But in but in terms of broader engineering. A lot of R&D happens in the UK still. You know, a lot of innovation um, is coming out of the UK. It's, uh, you know, there's hubs all over the, all over the country. There's, I was, I was a one, um, it's a while ago now, but up sort of Warrington Way. And that's like a innovation lab where small businesses come in and they innovate and they network with one another and they talk about the, and that's a lot of that was engineering. So, you know, you sort of think, you think it's, engineer or manufacturing possibly not as big having a bigger footprint but engineering certainly does well look at the life science industry you know the life science industry in the northwest is huge you know you've got big players like waters you've got thermo fisher you know kratos analytics these are massive players in global players um in the life science world and that is all engineering it's all r&d and some of the products that they you know um develop and some of the things are actually life-saving products and then you've got you know uh, you've got other hubs you know you've got a massive automotive part in in in, in the midlands and you've got huge defense in the um south of england so so there's lots and lots of innovation uh, particularly within engineering let me just see if i can have a fact checked manchester student cities no not quite i'll have to uh, i'll have to have a look at that keep searching yeah, keep searching definitely lots of students so and lots of graduates and um, no, it's, it's really good to hear. So, so Mike, uh, what, anything else? Then you, I suppose we could ask you about your experience of moving to Manchester from a business point of view. You know, your hazard. Uh, you, you explained quite well the decision making that brought you to the point of coming here. Is it meeting your expectations? Yeah, so far it really is meeting our expectations and. Uh, maybe I could explain a little bit more what, what exactly it is that we are doing here. So, because we have our system developed before we came here, but there are some uh, key important or there's some important points that uh, we have to develop further. And one of them is firstly the integration of our system with already existing assets. So, what I explained before, where we transfer the load from the battery to the generator when there's a problem. There's a lot of uh, software involved within that process, and there might be different kinds of generators. It can be a diesel or a gas generator, but it can also be different loads. It can be a wind farm. It can be a solar plant. So it becomes very complex to then have a platform that can allow for all these different assets to operate in the ideal fashion together. 
And that is key uh, component that we are developing here. So this is, has to do with some, to some degree with the hardware, but for a large degree also with the software development. And we believe that that is a capability that is more easily identifiable uh, within uh, Manchester than it is back in, in Japan. That is one another key reason why we came here. But then the other thing is also, we are now not only looking for um, what's the, what the battery system can provide or our battery system can provide, but those 90 seconds that our system can provide the power for is, is okay for many situations. But when we need to combine it with a generator, even though that solution can work well, it's not net zero because you then still have a fossil fuel that is being burned. So we are now, uh, well, we have started development of a fuel cell system. And a fuel cell system essentially allows for extremely large amounts of storage in hydrogen, which can then uh, enable so-called uh, seasonal storage. So when you have a lot of wind in winter, especially in, uh, as we had up to two weeks ago, then all these, this excess power that is generated in the wind farms can be converted into hydrogen stored in different tanks for weeks and months and then utilize when there is no wind available for at certain times, weeks in a row. And so this fuel cell development is something that we are also driving here from the Manchester region. And it becomes very interesting when you mentioned that you had here a lot of manufacturing. There's still quite a bit of generator manufacturing, but for diesel and gas generators, it becomes so difficult to have a business case in the future when there's a net zero targets in more and more cities. And it can be that those uh, companies either, I don't know what exactly they will do, but one of the options is to then focus more on hydrogen infrastructure, identify how uh, hydrogen may operate their, uh, their generators, but possibly also look into uh, fuel cell systems. And this then becomes, so, becomes also interesting for what kind of talent we may acquire. Some younger people, they like me, uh, I, I really like the generators. They're massive, things turn, and they produce a lot of power as a mechanical engineer. That's very fascinating. But it also is very difficult to uh, be sure that this is a, a technology that is uh, future-proof. So I believe uh, a lot of young people are considering uh, what technology may be suitable in a five, 10, 20 years time. And uh, fuel cell might really be something that's, like, that can solve those uh, issues with uh, the emissions. And therefore, uh, we can hopefully provide a, a platform that is attractive for potential candidates and uh, motivated candidates to join us and help drive our business to become a provider of green solutions for not just 90 seconds, but for X amount of days as need be. You see, this is the thing. This is what I find fascinating about stuff like this. Just talking to you, just listening to you. When you talk about stuff like the wind and what it does and what you can create from it and what that could look like and how it happens, you know, and you've given us that in like a very brief, like two minutes. It's actually amazing, isn't it? You know, most of us actually win, you know, we all moan when it's windy. It's like it's windy. Is the town's going to get blown off? Actually, what you're talking about is actually changing the whole way in how things could work later on down the line. It could be greener because we're actually capturing that wind and then creating something from it. It's amazing. 
I feel like my kids need to come on some of these podcasts, John, because we learn so much from them in yeah. the respect of like, again, and I've referred to it once today and, I, and I'll do it again because I, I am a bit like that sometimes, a bit like repeat myself too much. But anyway, um, when, <laughs> when they're like on their iPads or their Kindles and they're sat there and they're tapping away and I'm like, do you know somebody's developed that? And they look at me like I'm crazy. But actually, it's true. What goes into it and what goes on behind the scenes is actually completely not really amazing. And it fascinates me some of the things you've talked about today, Mike. Yeah, I think so. I, Zach reminds me, I, I've given a talk at my kids' school a couple of times um, that sort of gives a bit of, uh, sort of pulls the curtain back on, the, on what the internet is. And I call it the where milk comes from for the internet because people don't know where milk comes from, right? But obviously people know where the internet comes from now. And it's the same with, you know, what you're talking about, Mike, people have, you know, they switch on a light and that's all they think about. They don't think except when it doesn't come on and then something, somebody has to do something and everyone's freaking out. Um, but, and Joe, you know there's a couple of things I was really interested in. One, you're talking about the storage of the, the hydrogen. We're not going to start seeing those gas works that we used to see. Zach, you know what I'm talking about. Those big sort of cylinders on the outsides of towns. I, I'm not that old, John. No, okay. No, I'm just, I'm just saying you're from Manchester. Say you're no, I know exactly I, what you mean. I, I don't exactly. think they've ripped them all down, but um, yeah, I'm just wondering if they're, if they're the kinds of things. I presume we're never, they're not going to be close to the, uh, the manufacturing, you know, close to the wind turbines, presumably, rather than close to towns. Um, yeah, we'll see where exactly the hydrogen will be stored, but certainly. I think people might be a little bit afraid of storing a lot of hydrogen in their backyard, so it might be a little bit outside of the city. Yeah, exactly, and the country. Um, you did make me laugh then, though, John, when you just turned around and said, you know, there's never a problem until you switch it on and then there's a problem. In my house, that's normally, Dad? Yeah. I'm, <laughs> oh, well, oh, we had this, I had this discussion with someone at work that if you work in tech, and even if you don't, like, well, it's like you kind of work in tech, I'm responsible for everything that where if electricity flows through it in this house. I don't know why that is. If anything has electricity, then I'm the guy who has to go. Anyway, I don't know. Just <laughs> well, it's, it's it's uh, it's quite similar in uh, so so I get dad at home, and yet dad goes to work. And anyone that doesn't know, we've probably mentioned her before, but she produces a show Denisa, and she works for Chrome, and she's absolutely excellent. What Denisa gets at work is dad going. Denise, my laptop's not working. So <laughs> you need to turn off Outlook, Zach. <laughs> yeah. um, so we're probably coming to the end of our, our time. It's been fascinating, Michael, finding out more about what you guys do. And I, I'm loving this engineering and, and, you know, once again, just a different format of, you know, the reality of what goes on in the background to achieve what people just take for granted. Um, so if we could finish off with a couple of things, and that would be, where do you see things going? What advice could you give to anybody, whether that's people in the UK wanting to move to Manchester or people around the world who are looking to move a business to, to, to Manchester? Yeah. Um, so the, the great thing, or one of the reasons why we moved here is really that we got uh, support, particularly from Midas. So they are the um, governmental or from the city trying to attract uh, foreign, um, not foreign, or, but from the outside companies to set up a shop in, in Manchester. And they have really been very supportive uh, before we set up our company here, but also thereafter. So they have been able to put us in touch with uh, the right people, 
the right companies, including Chroma uh, and others that really helped us set up our shop, which was particularly difficult from coming from outside of uh, the UK. Smaller issues like banking. So we, we had to find uh, the, the right company to do the banking with. We had to find solicitors, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, they have really been very helpful uh, in providing us uh, with the right contacts. And yeah, otherwise, um, I can really vouch for uh, just being um, open and trying to attend different uh, meetings, which I hope is going to be now more in person again. And uh, really the culture here is so open that it's quite easy to just have a chat with different people. Uh, it might not be in the same industry, but uh, very more often than not, there are some very interesting uh, connections that one can make that have that can have a potential for a future collaboration together. And that's really uh, surprising for me to so far to me. That's really great to hear. And I, yeah, I think it is a, a pat on the back for the Northwest in general, but hopefully the all of the UK for, for being that open and uh, welcoming and, you know, uh, welcoming to business and welcoming to people. Um, I have one more question for you, if, if I may. So I think you've, you know, a pretty fantastic career or certainly looks it looks like it to me um you know and you've come through that engineering route and you sort of mentioned about you know people studying engineering now and they're looking for what they would like to be you know they're looking at more like renewable type industries and so on so what i guess what advice would you give them you're in the industry they're either choosing their courses or, or whatever what advice would you give to them now I think that you can really take two different kinds of routes depending on what your flavor is. One is to start working in a, in a large company, identify how things are supposed to work and uh, gather a lot of knowledge outside of what you're being taught just in, in the university, but how things are really uh, done in the industry. Or you can do the alternative route, which I took, that you join a startup where you are often not being told how things are done. You have to figure them out by yourself and there's uh, much less uh, support typically, um, but it can be also more rewarding and you will have much more responsibility very quickly on. And those are two very legitimate paths uh, that really can bring a lot of success um, as long as you stay motivated uh, within your job and not only are you being driven by your salary, but also uh, by doing something more important, like in our case for uh, uh, net zero uh, targets, but there can be also completely different kind of targets, but it should really be uh, some kind of drive that is something else than just your reimbursement. Yeah, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. You know, I think that ultimately, certainly being a small business myself and, and, and seeing many small businesses, I think it's fantastic what business does for people, but people do for businesses as well, because obviously they employ them. They take a risk when you're a small business. They take a huge risk, actually, because it's a really big thing to employ somebody when you are a small business. However, at the same time, and again, you know, she's got a lot of plugs today, Denise, or a lot of plugs, John, you know, she'll be, she'll be asking for a pay rise soon. Um, but, you know, Denise is a, a prime example of somebody who joined us and evolved and evolved and evolved and evolved and you know now she's in a in a, in a fantastic position um so 
I think it, it does. It works on both fronts, and I think it, it's it's great. And I, I like that element of people that come in because I think the only the only barrier to success in whatever visibility you success you see success to be, like you're saying there, in creating the 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 the, the energy in the way that you want to create it, or making loads of money, you can visualize success in lots of different ways, can't you? You know, professors at something don't don't visualize it because it's just about money. Whereas a multi-billionaire will do it in a different way. Um, but it's only yourself. You're you are the only barrier to your own level of success in what you want to achieve. So, sorry, I'm waffling again. I need to stop. Anyway, uh, Manchester is the second the second largest university in the UK, and it's around a thousand people less than London. So. I think considering there's probably about 15 million in London, it's the capital city. That probably makes us the biggest, really, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> in the relative yeah. terms. Yeah. <laughs> We're taking that as a win, I think. It's, you can always spit a spin, a bit of Manchester spin on it. Um, thanks very much again, Mike, for coming on our show. Uh, really enjoyed having you, uh, hearing your stories, hearing about your business. It, as I said, it was a bit of a different slant for us, getting into sort of more discussion around the engineering. I absolutely loved it. So again, thank you for coming on the show. Hope you enjoyed it. Uh, and Zach, thank you. If you want to get in touch with Northwest of I podcast, please reach out in the usual places. We're on LinkedIn. You just search for us on there. We have a website, northwestify.co.uk, and you can send us a message there as well. Thank you. Thank you very much.